paid advertisement is just not, it's very biased information versus, you know, genuine recommendation or genuine partnership um, is just a much better source of information for making decisions. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Today with me, we have uh, Connor Begley, that is the co-founder of Tri Dynamics uh, and Chief Strategy Officer and Board Observer at Creatoreku. If you're new to this show, I wanted to invite you to uh, subscribe us to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. We have new guests and new episodes every single Wednesday. Enjoy the show. Hey, Connor, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Alessandro? It's all good. It's all good. You know, like another week, a lot of things to, to do. Many different, you know, but I, I, you know, you know the feeling, right? Uh, like every week is uh, somehow the same for certain things and a bit, you know, uh, different because uh, in our industry, everything is changing every single day, right? So totally, yeah, it's funny. I uh, I was out for two weeks, which is a longer vacation than I've taken in a while, and um, it was like I missed a lot and I missed nothing at all. So it mm -hmm. was, uh, you know, <laughs> one of those. That sounds things. like social media to me lately, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, forever, basically. So, oh my God. So, so yeah, usually, you know, of course, the first question for me all the time is, you know, about the guests. So, why don't you just give a, a bit background about yourself? Uh, how did you start it? How did you go into influencer marketing? Uh, you know, uh, your previous role and uh, what are you working on right now? Yeah, for sure. So, um, uh, co founded a company called Tribe Dynamics about 11 years ago. Um, got into the space because I was at a, so I graduated, went to a startup company that grew very quickly. Then I went and lived in Australia for about seven months. Um, while I was out there, I ended up doing some consulting, this really cool up and coming brewery. Um, I realized that the bars for us were kind of influencers, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, they'd have like, and this is pre Instagram, but they'd have like a thousand fans on their Facebook page. And so we'd go to these bars, we'd interview the bartenders, we'd, uh, take some cool photography of them and publish it and you know then what would happen is the bartenders would see it all the locals who followed that facebook page would see it because it'd be like our favorite bars and bartenders and you know we'd see our sales in those bars go up because you know those bartenders were more likely to recommend our beer and so i was um talking to a good friend of mine and he had been on the paid search side of things um, so like, you know, paid Google searches and stuff. And he had done, run a bunch of analytics. It basically said, you know, the more tweets about your brand, the easier, like, you know, the cheaper it was to advertise. And he's like, and I think, you know, the cart's driving the horse here, right? I think that like the more well-known your brand are, the more effective your advertising is, right? The cheaper it is. And so we're like, this feels like a really big deal now that everybody's becoming publishers. So let's, you know, let's get into it. Um, and then, you know, we combined, I uh, got acquired by a company called Creator IQ about 18 months ago. And they, um, you know, they're very complimentary to us, both in terms of product, in terms of customer base, um, and uh, in terms of skill sets. And so, you know, we're now the largest player in the space by a good margin. And, you know, operating from there. So you said 11 years ago, it's when you started like getting into that. It was a different different environment, different industry. It was like, you know, there were no trackings, no metrics, uh, like, you no know, was based on, you know, yeah, I feel it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it changes a lot, you know. Of course, you know, we can we can talk more about the past and everything, but let's talk about the, the present. There is a lot yeah. of, you know, like activity, especially in the in the M&A, right? Uh, merger acquisition on the influencer marketing side, you know, traditional media agencies or 
you know, big conglomerates uh, acquiring influencer marketing agencies, acquiring influencer marketing platforms. Uh, so what's what's happening and why now? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, so. It's definitely happening. I mean, we were part of that, right? So we got acquired. I think we've been we're probably the largest acquisition in the space at this point. I think. Um, so I think there's a few things that happen, right? So when new categories emerge, there's a ton of players, right? So oh, this new thing, influencer marketing, it's a big deal. You know, I think there's like 180 companies on G2 or something like that, and so. Um, and so, you know, so everybody goes, oh, it's a shiny new object. Let's go and let's get it, right? Whether you're an agency or a platform or whatever. Um, and then what happens is as you, you know, get further into it, you, know, you get three, five, seven years into it, um, you know, um, people start to, the winners start to emerge, right? And then the ones who are, you know, uh, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth in line, particularly on the platform side, you know, start to struggle. Right. And so then they start looking for, okay, what is the next step? Right. Um, uh, and then also, I think there's a lot of uh, one of the more common playbooks within the private equity space, right? It's so private equity invests in companies um, is to kind of combine these companies to build a larger platform, um, which ends up giving you significantly better uh, advantages across a variety of spectrums, right? So for us, a big part of us combining is, you know, being the largest player in the space, you get better access to partnerships, better access to capital, right? Investors, um, uh, clients trust you more, right? Clients want to pick Salesforce. They don't want to pick the fifth best CRM system or the fifth biggest CRM system. And so there's just a lot of strategic advantages to being big, basically, right? And so, um, and so that was a big part of the reason that we, you know, did it in addition to the fact that we really liked the team and you know etc so um so yeah so it's definitely happening this kind of consolidation phase it's very common within new markets that emerge to go through this expansion phase where there's a bunch of new companies and then this consolidation phase where they start to um, merge together right or be acquired or whatever or die off right there's a lot that die off too um just shut down or get acquired and so um certainly what's happening right now for sure and, you know, it's definitely hot right now as a topic, but uh, it seems that still, you know, a lot of people cannot comprehend the, and understand the real power of an influencer marketer, right? Like, you know, it's, it's a hot topic, but I, I would say that still a lot of, it's still a niche market, right? Compared to if we take the traditional media spending, for example, you know, or the typical studio productions, right? Where you need accrue licenses and, uh, you know, insurance for like, you know, there are so many costs involved while inside with an influencer, sometimes you just need a person with their phone, right? And can, you know, even, you know, do two, three X, what maybe, you know, a big production can do in terms of reach, in terms of conversions and so on. So even if uh, influencer marketing, we know that works very well and sometimes can beat uh, other media, why is still still a niche again compared to traditional media like why is it going slower than what is maybe supposed to be yeah i mean i think it takes a long time for people to change habits right so mm -hmm. i think it's very and then i think in a lot of ways what's happened in digital marketing is that people have gotten very tied to um you know roi right like hey i put x dollars into facebook ads and i got x dollars out um, and the reality is that the equation there is much more complex than Facebook and Google are making it seem, right? But because um, like, you know, we looked at, as an example, like when we sign a client, 
it's like there's like 25 touch points between like when they first hear about us and mm-hmm. when they sign up. They might attend two or three events. They might download four or five uh, documents. They might attend a webinar. They might have a few phone calls, right? Like um, they might read our emails, like all those touch points. And it's like, you know, but like the last click is what gets the credit, mm-hmm. right? And so um, the last touch point. And so anyways, so I think that that, that has been part of the problem, right? Now, I think what happens over time is that, uh, you know, impact dollars tend to follow impact. So what do I mean by that, right? Well, let's think about like how people make decisions. So that's something I think a lot about, like, how do I decide to buy this vacuum? Or how do I decide to attend this event? Or how do I decide to go sign up for tribe or influencer marketing factory, whatever, right? I think the number of people making decisions because of an Instagram ad or Google ad is not nearly as high as the spend, right? So I think the amount of money getting spent on it and the impact that it's having in terms of decision-making um, is uh, is off, right? And I think alternatively, if you were to look on the influencer side of things, you know, the you know, like how often do I make a decision because somebody I follow that I trust that's an expert in the market recommends a product or a service, like quite high, right? Like I was scrolling through TikTok and I saw this woman who like reviews movies and she was losing her mind about Oppenheimer, right? Like, and I was like, oh shit, I need to go watch Oppenheimer, right? Mm -hmm. Like that has a very visceral impact on my decision-making. And so, um, and so anyways, and so, you know, the reality is she isn't capturing that yet, right? That financial impact that she's driving. Um, but I think it will shift over time, right? It's only natural because as a brand, if you're Oppenheimer and you can say, Hey, you know, I can put a bunch of money into Facebook ads. Uh, and I, I'm not trying to pick on Facebook, let's say any kind of paid advertising medium as a consumer, that's just not a very good source of information, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, paid advertisement is just not, it's very biased information versus, you know, genuine recommendation or genuine partnership um, is just a much better source of information for making decisions. And so, um, and so what will happen is over time, money will flow in that direction. And it is right. I mean, the growth rates on uh, influencer marketing far outpace paid advertising. Um, it's just, you know, it takes, a, it takes 25 years really most of the time to shift, make these kinds of shifts. Is your brand ready to amplify its reach? Well, the influencer marketing factory is here for you. We are a global influencer marketing agency helping brands ignite their growth. From influencer identification to campaign strategy, handling legalities and agreements, to managing shipping and logistics, we got you all covered. We work with hundreds of brands across different verticals, from Fortune 500 companies to direct-to-consumer brands. And we don't just stop there. With detailed ROI analysis, we help brands like yours measure success at transforming impressions into conversions. You can find us at theinfluencermarketingfactory.com or just searching the influencer marketing factory on Google. No, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, it's it takes time for people to adapt to new things. And uh, something also that I noticed that, you know, uh, finally, right, uh, uh, we moved from uh, only, you know, either vanity metrics uh, or just, you know, the touch and feel of, uh, you know, inflation marketing campaign and tone of voice, whatever, all those things that are absolutely important, right? But at the end of the day, especially now, brand marketers, they need to associate an ROI, right, to influencers. And so I like that you shared a lot of data lately in the past months. I was checking your LinkedIn and I like that you went really like, you know, in detail, right? Like it's not that common, at least in our industry, to see Excel file, basically like, you know, screenshotted <laughs> and 
quite published that because we all do like you know feedbacks and analysis of the industry and yeah we throw some numbers but numbers usually are part of the storytelling no you just basically took screenshots and we analyze those and i like that approach because uh, finally we can show that again influencer marketing is just more than uh you know silly dancing video whatever but actually you can sell you can influence the others you can do things so on that is there any metrics any numbers something that either shocked you something that you were not expecting something that uh, you know we were like hmm interesting now that i see this data this makes sense or this doesn't make sense yeah it's a great question so um so a few things that are fun right that have stood out to me and been surprising to me um and maybe taking a step back i think that part of where we have found a lot of success is like we knew that this was impacting things right we mm -hmm. knew that these TikTok videos where somebody was genuinely recommending oppenheimer were like having a big impact on the actual sales at oppenheimer tickets right and so I, what I felt like was a big part of our mission was to like shine the flashlight on that stuff and be like, hey guys, look over here, right? Look at this relationship. This is crazy, right? And during our very early days, the way that we did that was we would like highlight these brands that were growing very quickly. And then they would go on to have very large acquisitions for lots and lots of money. Um, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars in some cases. And so, you know, people would go, oh shit, like this stuff's really real. Like we're not talking about driving $50,000 through a coupon code. Like we're talking about, you know, multi-billion dollar outcomes mm -hmm. or billions of dollars worth of market share shifting. And so, um, and so anyway, so that's always been our mission. We very much did that in the beauty and fashion space. And I think lately we've been pushing into other categories. I think some of the things that are most surprising is like, you look at like, we can correlate influencer content to major league ticket sales, right? Um, and that's like looking at, okay, how many people are talking about a major league baseball team in 2022? And then how many tickets did they sell in 2023? And it, it's eight times more correlated than whether or not they're winning games. So like, hmm. if you are a winning baseball team, it matters a lot less than whether or not everybody is talking about you online, right? Like even if like the Houston Astros, as, as an example, or like the number three by ticket sales or, or number three by ticket sales, like top five by buzz, but we're like barely above 500, right? They weren't even a winning baseball team. And so I think that, um, you know, those kinds of learnings, I think, are fascinating, right? Those connections in terms of outcomes. Um, and so that's that's kind of some of the exciting stuff I like. As marketing, we realize it is that in first marketing, it's also moving away or it should maybe move away from the one time activation, right? To having a better retention, right? Uh, you know, so using maybe the same influencers uh, over and over or at least use the ones that, you know, brought in the most, uh, you know, conversions. Uh, um, so how can a brand can move from this one activation, one shot with specific influencers and go more on the retention base? And also why, why is it that important for marketers? Yeah, I think one of my favorite parts about this question and the way that you talk about it is that you talk about influencer retention as this like well-worn concept, right? And I think why that's one of my favorite things is like, you know, I'm pretty sure we invented, I know for a fact, we invented mm. influencer retention like two years ago. Like mm. we just started. And so I think that's the first thing. It's like crazy that it's become just a thing now that the industry yeah. thinks about. And, um, and I think to your point about like the importance of it and why we talk about it is, you know, when we looked at our own business, right? The, the way that we are judged as a business at Creator IQ, you know, the primary way that we are judged is like retention. Like when we get a customer in, 
do they stay with us, right? And that has a dramatic impact on the value of the business and a dramatic impact, frankly, on the performance of the business. So like if you go from an 80% retention rate to a 90% retention rate, your average customer lifetime goes from five years to 10 years, right? So it doubles the average time that you keep a customer. And so, you know, in looking at that, what we realized was like, hey, wait, what if we apply the same lens to influencers, right? Would it mm -hmm. play out? Um, and it turns out it is, by far the most predictive measurement for growth uh, that we have. Far and away, bar none, nothing else comes close in terms of predicting whether or not you will do well uh, this year, you will grow this year in terms of the number of influencers talking about you. And so to your point on this kind of one-off versus kind of long-term relationship, that should have a very big impact on how you approach these creators, right? Um, and where we've seen it go wrong, there's a variety of ways that we've seen it go wrong, but you know, is like, Hey, I've been working with this influencer for five years. Like, I think I need to like reach new audiences, which is definitely something that you should do. Right. Mm -hmm. But what happens in that scenario? That person goes, Oh, wow. I've been supporting this brand for a long time. I've been talking about them for years and now they've left me and they're going, they're paying somebody else that doesn't even care about the brand. Right. And everybody else goes, Oh, if I talk about the brand, you know, or if I, you know, uh, and all those people are talking about them organically go, wait, why are you paying them and not paying me? Like, I love the brand. I talk about it all the time. Right. And so alternatively, you can have these second order effects or halo effects that occur if you pay people that are organic fans of the brand. So like if somebody's talking about the brand all the time and then you bring them in, you make them an ambas long-term ambassador to the company, all the other influencers go, oh, crap, if I talk about this brand, maybe that will happen for me too, right? Maybe I will also get a long-term contract. And so what it results in is everybody else being much more likely to talk about you over time as well, right? And so, um, so anyways, we have found retention as a concept to be the most important metric for growth, predicting growth and long-term success. And then again, the way that you get there is by taking the people that are organically supporting your brand, um, building long-term relationships with those people to drive both lifetime value with them, as well as to drive halo effects with everybody else. Because, oh, if I talk about the brand, maybe this will happen for me too. Right. And so, um, so anyway, so that's the way I think about kind of long-term relationships versus one-off. Yeah. It makes sense, right? Like traction is not necessarily that difficult to achieve, especially if you got funding and everything. We saw that with a lot of social media apps, a lot of utility apps, a lot of, you know, new features that coming up that maybe have the hype for, three days, three weeks, three months, whatever. But then, you know, so retention, if, if retention is important with uh, any other marketing, like, you know, branches and approaches, this should, should also be the same, right, with influencers. So I, I do agree with that with you. And uh, what are some of the other do's and don'ts when it comes to campaigns? I know that some of them are common sense, right? But is there anything else you identify that if you do these, uh, might not be a success 100%, but at least you are in the right direction? And the thing that you should never do when working with influencers and do an active influencer uh, marketing activation? Yeah, I think there's a few things, right? So to take a step back in terms of, you know, uh, the company. So, you know, we started tracking all these influencers, just measuring them and trying to figure out which brands they're talking about, right? Um, and then we saw certain brands kind of blow up in our metrics. So the first one was a company called NYX Cosmetics, um, which frankly, I thought was some airport in New York that we were picking up a false signal on, right? Like LAX, NYX, because it, mm -hmm. you know, it was beating, you know, we're tracking all these influencers and there were more talking about it than Maybelline or cover all these multi-billion dollar brands. Yeah. And so, um, 
And so anyways, so that fast forward, that company gets acquired for half a billion dollars by L'Oreal. We got a lot of attention because we were the only ones publishing data on it. Um, and we said, hey, maybe there's something here, right? And we saw those patterns again and again and again. Uh, there's a company called Two Face. They got bought for a billion and a half. Then Anastasia Beverly Hills got valued at two to three billion. Then in fashion, you had Fashion Nova, which is a multi-billion dollar company. Gymshark, which got valued at a billion and a half. You see it with Celsius on the beverage side. Um, on and on and on and on, and on right? And so, um, and so what we tried to do was to have conversations with those people and say, hey, Nix, hey, Fashion Nova, hey, Two Faced, hey, Celsius, what are you doing, right? What are you doing that's different than everybody else? Because clearly your numbers are popping in our data and it's leading to these very large economic outcomes. So we're just making a ton of money. And so, um, and so what we found was a few kind of consistent principles, right? So the first one was, um, you might have support of an agency, right? So you work with Influencer Marketing Factory to support the brand, but ultimately there is an in-house team that is very much focused on owning these relationships, right? Um, and they are very much focused on long-term relationships. Um, they tended to work with thousands of influencers, not dozens. So it wasn't about going out and finding Kim Kardashian and paying her to talk about you as much as it was, uh, you know, gifting 2000 influencers and then working on long-term partnerships with the top tier, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, almost always an in-house process about half the time with the support of an agency, right? They tend to work with thousands of influencers versus dozens. Um, they tended to focus a lot more on organic content rather than paid content. So you could use paid content and paid relationships to amplify and gain more organic content. But again, going back to that Oppenheimer example, you know, organic support is just more likely to actually drive uh, changes in people's choices mm -hmm. and opinions. And so how can you do that, right? Um, and the fourth was they tended to start working with people where there were really, uh, that were young and then growing with them, right? And often helping them to grow. And so a good kind of way to, a simple way to think about this is like, it's better to build a relationship with Kim Kardashian when she was Paris Hilton's assistant, right? 10 years ago than it is today, right? Like back then she didn't have anybody paying attention to her today. It's going to cost you millions of dollars to get anything out of her. Right. And so, um, and so the way that that works out mathematically is about 6% of micro influencers. So if you have a hundred thousand fans or fewer, about 6% of those people will surpass that threshold, right? Each year. And then what happens is that group is like, once you pass a hundred thousand fans on say Instagram, um, it's like a rock rolling downhill, right? You tend to go full time, you professionalize, you just mm -hmm. take it a lot more seriously. So once you get a past a hundred thousand fans, one out of every four will surpass 300,000 fans next year. And then one out of every three will surpass a million fans the following year. And so when you invest in those little guys, those micro creators, you're investing in the next two, three, four, five years, right? And so, um, in terms of do's and don'ts, those are really the do's, right? I think in terms of the don'ts, like you said, this is a well-worn territory, but like influencers know their audiences better than you do. So being like really mm -hmm. prescriptive about the content they need to create pisses them off, pisses their audience off, generally doesn't perform very well, right? Um, treating them as transactions uh, or one-offs generally does not work very well. I think trying to find influencers that are cross-category is a very common tactic, generally does not work very well. So like... Mm trying to get a fashion influencer to talk about a beauty company, although logically that makes sense, 
Um, the reality is if they've never talked about beauty in the past, they're very unlikely to talk about it today, right? In the same way as like trying to get a, you know, a sports influencer to talk about, I don't know, like a cookbook, right? Like it's just not what they talk about. That's not their area of expertise. Even if the demographics of their audience line up with your brand, the reality is that content's generally not going to perform very well, right? Um, and so, and also doesn't have all those secondary or second order effects, halo effects or LTV drivers. So, um, so anyways, long story short, um, those are some of the do's and don'ts that I think about. And, you know, before earlier you said about, you know, organic content that perform well, right? Uh, many times, uh, even more than paid ads, uh, because we all know that when you are, you know, creating something that comes from know your heart or something that you're really passionate about people can easily understand that right so we're in a moment in time where you know creator-led marketing right it's uh, sometimes uh, you're not always nowadays basically beating right the typical again boring corporate uh, you know paid media so do you have any tips on how to mastering like this approach right both on the creator side, like how can you become even better in creating like, you know, again, this type of marketing that comes from you as a creator. And also the second question is on the brand side, many brands still have this sort of like, it's difficult for them to, you know, just lay back a bit and be like, you know what, I can trust these people. I can trust these content creators. I will give them freedom. And sometimes still they prefer to go corporate scripted and they don't work, right? So any tips for both the parties, content creators on the one side, and brand marketers on the other. Yeah. So I think on the, the content creator side of things, you know, when you're looking at a creator, there's a few things that like predict growth, right? And I think that that ultimately points to the type of content you create and the way that you should approach the problem. And I've been doing this a little bit myself and it's working, right? Which is pretty mm -hmm. cool. Um, so a few things, right? So one, um, in terms of predicting growth, right? Or, you know, what actually drives growth, frequency of creating content is really important. Right. So fast growth influencers produce about 73% more content than slow growth influencers. Um, building community and interacting with your community is very, very critical. Right. So on average, influencers that are fast growth versus those that are slow growth get tagged by other people a little bit more than twice as often. Right. So like you are sharing photos, doing activities together. Um, collaborating on content. Like you'll see this with Mr. Beast, right? He's constantly doing collaborations with other creators because you share audiences, you grow, you know, you grow together. And the third is having a variety of content, right? So obviously you're going to have your content that's like your specialty and what you do. But what we find with people that have like, you know, you know, product post, product post, product post, product post, it just doesn't, they don't, they don't perform as well, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to have a mixture of content that's both personal so that people can connect with you, um, as well as content that's more around your expertise, right? And so, um, and so anyways, and the other one I really like, I love this example. I interviewed this uh, team that's just killing it. I think they went from 4 million to 75 million in revenue, 75 million to 150 million in revenue. It's this kind of group of two or three brands that's killing it. Um, and when I asked him, he used to talk about community building. I was like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean by community building? He's like, well, you know, when you start an Instagram page, it's like you have zero fans. It's like, mm -hmm. and then you get one. He's like, what do you do when you get your first fan? So you shoot him a message like, hey, thanks so much for following me. Like, 
you know, let me know however I can be helpful. And he's like, so we just started doing that. And he's like, it ended up turning into a massive direct sales channel for us, as well as a way that we actually built very direct connections with our community and our audience. And I was like, well, you can't honestly be doing that today. Like each one of your brands has hundreds of thousands of fans, right? He's like, no, absolutely. We still make it our goal to message every single person that follows us, right? Um, and it's like, wow, like that's crazy. Like I've never heard of that before. Um, and so, and again, I've started doing my own kind of publishing. So, which I'd never published anything before, but up to about 5,000 fans on, uh, LinkedIn and growing really fast should be north of 10,000 by the, at the end of the year and growing from there. It's like, we message every single person that follows me and it like has a cumulative effect over time, right? A meaningful effect, especially if you send a real message. And so that's on the, we'll say on the kind of creator side of things. Um, and then on the brand side of things. I'm trying to think of what the, the, could you kind of repeat the question? So in terms of the brand side, what question are we trying to answer there? Yeah. So basically how can you move from, you know, more of a typical corporate scripted, uh, you mm. know, paid media, you know, type of content to more of a creator led again, you know, type of content or user generated content, creator generated content, you know, like anything like that is again, I'd be more, you know, out, outside the, you know, out of the box many times, uh, with their specific tone of voice, right, uh, of the specific influencer. And one we notice that many brands still, they want to own, right, the message. They want to own the way how it is, it is delivered. And too many times brands are a bit afraid, right, to open up completely and trust the influencers. So do you have any tips on the brand marketing side on how you can actually embrace this new way of doing marketing and try to, you know, avoid maybe to all use one way that was the, again, the corporate from the 80s, the 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, totally. I think it's a really big challenge, right? I think it's really difficult. Mm -hmm. um, now, what I'll say though, so that kind of creator-led marketing um, is another term that I think we've kind of tried to put out in the ecosystem that seems to be gaining some traction. And I think the kind of premise of it uh, to your point is that historically, like when influencers first started, right, it's very much about like, hey, I've got these people with large fans, and I want them to talk about my movie Oppenheimer, right? And so, you know, I build a relationship, I give them a special screening, I do whatever, and they do that, right? And then I think what's happened over time, right? So that's really kind of call it the, uh, you know, earned media, and maybe even a little bit of paid media, right? I'll pay them to talk about me. And so I think what's, to your point, what has changed is as a brand, you know, the requirement for you to create assets is at an all time high, right? You got to do Instagram posts every day. You got to have new stuff on your website. You got to have material for your email marketing. You got to have new material for your Facebook ads, right? Like you need new content all the time in a bunch of different languages at a bunch of different angles, et cetera. And so first and foremost, creating all that content, super expensive, timely, hard, et cetera. Um, I think number two, what you're finding is that consumers are very much connecting with content that is created by people they know, they trust, that's unique, different, interesting, et cetera. Um, and so it's just performing a lot better, right? It's converting people more frequently on the website pages. It's like driving higher ROAS through your ads. Um, you know, it's driving better conversion rates on your email marketing. And so I think the integration, so taking influencers and now making them kind of the center and their assets, the center of that marketing funnel, and then having that operate throughout the rest of the marketing uh, kind of internal marketing ecosystem is what's occurring, right? And I think that's really, those two areas are merging over the last several years in like quite a meaningful way that's important. 
And so the question is like, how do you do it? I think one of the most difficult challenges there is really embracing that like you aren't going to be able to control the look, the feel, the messaging in the same way that you could in the past, right? And instilling in your brand a comfort level with risk associated with that content that, you know, a lot of the times it's not going to work, it's not going to succeed, but, you know, we still need to try it, right? We still need to experiment and it's not... You know, um, just because this person isn't the person we would make the face of the brand doesn't mean that we can't honor and support the love that they show us. Right. And I think that's still a very big challenge for a lot of brands. I think there's a lot of brands that struggle with this concept of not having the perfect aesthetics or not having the perfect mm. spokesperson. Um, but you know, like, Hey, if this person loves you and they're talking about you all the time, like who gives a shit, right? Support that love. And in a lot of ways. Um, like there's these really cool set of, um, people on Twitter. I wish I could remember his name, but just search like ugly ads. It's like, you know what the best performing ads are? Ugly ads. Like he'll do an ad where it's like, he'll write down like shit on a post-it note, take a photo. And that'll be the best performing ad they do. Right. It's like a yeah. post-it note, like versus these highly produced ads. So anyways, there's some thoughts on that. I mean, it's real, right? It's the same piece of paper that you could have like, you know, text notes on. It's very relatable. It's uh, also I think that because we came from like all these years of perfect things, uh, perfect images, uh, you don't trust them anymore. You want yeah. to go back to basics and be like, uh, maybe I trust more this person that instead of like, you know, showing me a Lamborghini, he's showing me the ROI, the CTR, and uh, you know, the CPI of this campaign. So I can check the numbers and be like, okay, straight to the point. These are the results, input, output. Let me go and check on that, right? Yeah, and then, again, totally. You know, just selling the dream. You want to sell like, on real things, on data, on what to expect, right? So that, that's that's. I why. think to your point earlier, right? So I'm publishing all this stuff now. And that post you mentioned, one of the posts that I did, like, you know, it's like a screenshot from a spreadsheet, shows some data, et cetera. And I won't name who it was, but somebody that was fairly senior in our organization was like, man, I hate that we can't get like more polished stuff for your content. Like, you know, I want to be more polished. And I was like, that's not what I want. I was like, this is the opposite of what I want, right? Like yeah. I want it to feel real fast, timely, like straight from my desk, right? Like, and, and the only way to do that, frankly, is to do it that way anyways. And, um, and that the post that he complained about ended up being the best performing one I ever put out, right? Was yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, so uh, anyways, to your point. No, but, uh, and, and also on that, before going to the next question, it is that I, uh, someone was, um, I think I already said in another episode about this, but someone was saying only customers, only the people reading, only people watching actually will, you know, choose the winner between the A-B testing. And so many people still, many marketers have a cognitive bias on being like, oh, this is the content that will always work. It, so it will work, right? So they put it out and they think, uh, and then maybe they do an A-B testing like, yeah, let's also try this other thing. But it's like, the, it's like the angle is strong. The lighting is not the best. Yeah, let's put it out. Many times that is performing better than the yeah. super polished, uh, again, in a studio, weeks of like, you know, preparation. Why? Because again, people want to see something that is real, something that more authentic, something that can relate to, right? So my message all the time is like, test things. You won't yeah. know up until you have data. You cannot only have your guts because that can tell you only part of the story, but then you need to analyze, right, things. So Totally. Well, and again, I think that like, yeah, 100%, whether you want to call it like lo-fi or like, authentic or whatever it is right like i think people yearn for that um yeah. there's been too much polished content for too long so 
And so now this is the present. What is the future of influencer marketing? What is missing uh, in the game right now? So definitely answer the question. But one of the things I do think is like really important. Like, so I remember Jeff Bezos got asked this question. It's like, what's, what's going to happen in the future? He's mm -hmm. like, and he's like, predicting the future is really, really hard, right? Yeah. He's like, but like knowing like what won't change is actually much easier and is like much easier to build around. So the example he used was like at Amazon, we know people are always going to want it faster. They're always going to want it cheaper and they're always going to want more options, right? Yeah. And so what does that lead me to? Like, okay, well, if I want it to be faster, then maybe I should build drone delivery technology, right? Because that will help me deliver it faster and cheaper, right? Or, hey, if I want to have more variety for people to choose from, then I should make it really easy for third parties to sell on Amazon, mm -hmm. right? And so saying like, these are the core pillars that I don't expect to change and building around those, I think is actually a much more, uh, I think it's an easier way to build around mm -hmm. long-term. And so for me, the things that I know, right, about the influencer marketing space that I don't expect to change are like, people are going to want to learn from people for a very long time, right? It's much easier. People want to hear from me. They don't want to hear from random corporate brand, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I know that one won't change. I know that like organic recommendations are going to be more trustworthy than paid ads, right? I know that for a fact that will not change, right? Um, I know that we're not the genie's not going to go back in the bottle. We're not going to go back to like magazines, right? The democratization of publishing has occurred. There are only going to be more and more publishers over time because the cost of publishing is so much lower, right? Um, uh, and frankly, I think that like, uh, and so anyways, so I think those are some of the things that I think about in terms of pillars, right? Like what can I build around? How should I think about how this changes? Um, my approach over time. So like as an example, say a new platform kind of pops mm -hmm. up. I know that organic content is still going to be the stuff that people trust. I know that relationships are still going to drive what like people talk about. I know, right? Like I know these things. And so um, now if we were to make some predictions, right? I think that, um, you know, one of the things that's overstated is new platforms, right? So like in the last 10 years, there's been one platform that has emerged and sustained that was TikTok. Um, every other platform has, you know, gotten hot and died. So mm -hmm. whether that's Clubhouse or Vine or Yik Yak or um, Be Real or whatever, the one that was like Polaroid, right? Like um, it's actually very, 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 very difficult mm -hmm. to build a platform that succeeds. And so, you know, with that being said, I think that... Um, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't capture the moment, right? Like we went on Clubhouse, we did it, we had got a large follow or, you know, got a bunch of people involved. It was fun. It was cutting edge. We're perceived as being cutting edge because we're playing around with the new platforms. So it doesn't mean you can't do that, but, um, you know, know that it's very rare that they emerge in a sustainable way. Mm -hmm. um, let's think what else. I don't know. Those are some of my thoughts in terms of the future and what's going on. Actually, I, I, I think the here last one. I think that yeah. um, I think that there will be people will continue to like we will slowly uncover how big the iceberg is, right? How big the mountain is. I think right now we're still very much seeing only a little bit in terms of how big the effect is of these publishers on economic outcomes for brands, entities. Mm -hmm whatever. Um, and so I think that will, the industry is going to continue to grow for a very long time, call it the next 10 years, right? Um, as people kind of slowly figure it out.
Yeah, no, I think so. Again, you know, we got to, it's funny to me anytime that I see like some media being like, is influencer marketing that? That's like every year there is something. And to be honest, for still other marketers listening, that happened also for SEO. I've been in the game of SEO for many years and every year there is like, is SEO dead? Every single year. And well, now like email marketing, like, right? right? Email marketing had like a resurgence like three or four years ago. And it's like, yeah. how long has yeah, email yeah. marketing been around, you know? Yeah, no, right. It's cycle of things, right? Uh, everyone was like emails. Oh, I got so many. I don't. And now everyone is subscribing on newsletter through, you know, like Substack or, and yeah. you know, MailChimp, all the others, right? And my, me included, I, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, let me subscribe to this just another newsletter that <laughs> wants read, you know, <laughs> that's, that's me. Yes. You know, so. Well, again, what happens, right? Because it's so cheap to start a newsletter or so cheap to start a website or so cheap to start an Instagram page, right? It just leads to more and more publishers about yeah. more and more niche topics, right? It's like, you know, I love the Detroit Lions. There's now three podcasts about the Detroit Lions only. Like I don't have to listen mm -hmm. to a generic sports podcast or a generic NFL podcast. I can listen to a podcast about my team, about this. You know, so it's like that will continue to happen over time. Yeah, no, I do agree. More, we were in another episode with someone else uh, discussing about the really niche-related, like you know, marketing communities, uh, very specific, uh, long tail keyword type of things, yeah. like you know, very, very, very uh, specific. And maybe usually what they do is that they create some of these, and they either they sell them out to you know maybe a media buyer that can put all together and basically create a media conglomerate, or yeah. they just go so like in depth when it comes to one specific thing, and around that they do. The website, the newsletter, the podcast, merchandising, uh, events, uh, webinars, everything, right? Uh, so yep. I do agree that nowadays it's very easy to create everything because it's so cheap and it's so simple, right? And user-friendly. Um, fantastic. I think that we co uh, covered many, many uh, topics. Is there anything, last, last minute thing that you want to add on top? Anything that is really exciting you uh, that you want to share with us today? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's just, you know, excited about the space, excited mm -hmm. to support people. So feel free to reach out to me. Um, you know, my email address is just Connor, C-O-N-O-R at creatoriq.com. So easy to find me. So if I can be supportive, um, you know, whether you're a student or a professor or a, you know, somebody that's just passionate about the space, let me know. Mm -hmm. Reach out. Happy to help. Fantastic. Connor, thank you so much for joining me today, for sharing knowledge, data, you know, uh, semi predictions as like what is not gonna happen because you know, you know what what is gonna happen depending on things that you can predict. I, I also love that that perspective there. Um, and uh, and yeah, like a connection on what you built. Best of luck of you know, like you know, new things so that again every day is different. So very curious to see what is gonna happen there. Hundred percent. Thanks, Alessandro. This was Bye. the influence factor by the influence marketing factory. I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.